Good morning. Um, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, we're in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. We're taking uh, three weeks to talk about uh, what kind of people we want to be at Doxa Church? It's a, it's a pretty important three weeks. Uh, we're taking three weeks to talk about what kind of church we want to be at Doxa. It's a pretty important three weeks. We'll jump back in Romans in October, but for uh, this next few weeks, we're going to camp in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. We'll be here all, all three weeks. And we're looking at the, the fact that this is what we want to be as a people. This is what we want to be as a church. We want to be an awakened people who are sent by God to awaken others. We want to be an awakened people who are sent by God to awaken others. And we're going to look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 8 and see how does that apply to us and how does that show us? What does it mean? What does it mean to be an awakened people who are then sent by God to awaken others? If you have your Bible, your app, you can look at Isaiah 6. Verse 1, as we start out looking at it, Isaiah begins and he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is the story of how Isaiah was called into ministry as a prophet. It's interesting if, you're, uh, if you uh, kind of study these things that that. This is the only instance that we have of an Old Testament prophet who dates the beginning of his ministry, which this is the, the, that beginning for Isaiah, who dates the beginning of his ministry with the death of a king. It usually says, in the so-and-so year of king so-and-so's reign, I, the word of the Lord came to me, or some sort of phrase like that. But this instance is alone with Isaiah, where he dates the beginning of his, of his ministry as a prophet to the year that King Uzziah died. Now, Uzziah was the 10th king of Judah, 
And Judah was the southern kingdom that broke off after Solomon. So if you're not very aware of the Bible, uh, you might have heard of King David. He's the second king of Israel, the greatest king in Israel's history. And then his son was Solomon. And Solomon ruled over the whole nation of Israel, all 12 tribes. And uh, he was a great man of great wealth, great power. And during his reign, uh, really, Israel sees the, the zenith of its power and its wealth. Its borders are the, the most expanded they generally will be. It has great wealth and great political power. He has great wisdom and a great reputation all across that part of the world. And then on his death, uh, the, the kingdom splits up and the 10 northern tribes of Israel go and they become the nation of Israel and the two southern tribes become the nation of Judah. That's where Jerusalem is. And almost immediately after that split, these, this northern kingdom, the northern kingdom of the, the 10 tribes, they kind of run off and they start worshiping other gods and doing other things. And the southern two kingdom, the southern two tribes and the southern kingdom of Judah, they stayed the most committed to the Lord. But even there, it's sort of like a, a really uneven Kind of a, a kind of a deal. If you read through Chronicles or Kings, it, it'll it'll show you how like so and so became king of Judah, and it'll tell you he did what was right in his own eyes, or it says that he followed his heart was fully after the Lord. He either they either did what was right in their own eyes, or they followed after the Lord. Isaiah was sixteen whenever he became king of, of Judah. He became king because his father, who was an apostate, who had turned away from the Lord, was killed. He was assassinated. Now he becomes king at 16 years old. Uh, at 16 years old, at this young age, he sought the counsel of Zechariah, which is a teacher of the law, a prophet in Israel. And it tells us that Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. His heart was after God. In fact, it tells us that his heart was greatly and fully after the heart of God. He seeks the wisdom of God through Zechariah. What, what should I do as being king? And he has granted incredible wisdom and grace. The kingdom of Judah expands and has its most, one of its most powerful times since Solomon and David under the rule of Uzziah. He rules for 52 years, becomes king at 16, then rules for 52 years over an unusually prosperous time in the nation of Judah. He's incredibly gifted militarily. They are able to go to war and beat back their enemies and they take land that has been taken from them for a long time. He's a gifted man agriculturally and he helps because they were an agrarian society. He helps them to achieve wealth that they haven't been able to achieve for a long time. And he has a great economic mind. They control trade routes all through the area. So Uzziah is incredibly prosperous and successful and Judah is incredibly prosperous and successful underneath him for these five decades. And, and now it's here at the time of his death that Isaiah has this vision and this call to speak for the Lord. And it's an incredibly important time for the nation of Judah because here's what happened. Even though Uzziah was incredibly gifted by God and, and at his early age, he sought after the Lord with all of his heart, yet something happens along his life and he starts to get puffed up with pride. And that happens to a lot of us, right? We're incredibly, if you've achieved some amount of success or some amount of comfort, maybe you've been a Christian long enough where you've seen like, hey, we're times when things are easy for me and I tend to sort of like 
you know, kind of fall away from God. And then, then when things get hard, I, he kind of, I kind of come back to him, right? You kind of, sometimes you feel like your life is a little bit of a yo-yo. And as he achieved incredible success, he became incredibly prideful and to the point where Uzziah, sort of the, the, the tipping point in his reign and his life was, he decided, hey, these priests get to be over here in the temple and they get to offer incense on the altar. And why can't I do that myself? I've achieved great success militarily. I've achieved great success economically. I've achieved great success agriculturally. Why can't I, a man who's been after God's heart, who's followed after him for all my life, why can't I go in there and offer this incense like these priests do? And he enters the temple with that intention in mind. And he's met with 81 priests who together gather in the temple in order to stop Uzziah from offering incense, which was forbidden by him. Only a priest could do it. A king was not allowed to do it. A priest, a, a, a priest only. A king had great power. He just couldn't do that. And that one thing that he couldn't want to do, he wanted to do. Isn't that like a lot of us? And that's really the story of humanity from the beginning, right? Adam and Eve had it made in the shade. They had everything they could have ever wanted except one thing they couldn't do. And that thing, who knows how long that thing gnawed at Uzziah's heart and his mind until he decided that he was gonna approach the temple and do this one thing. And those priests met him in the temple and they opposed him and he got angry. And when he did, it says that immediately he was struck with leprosy, this terrible skin disease. And it didn't just start, like it went to 100 from the beginning. His, he became deformed in his face and his body immediately. He was so deformed that he had to go into seclusion after that and his son became regent and ruled the kingdom underneath him. And success had had a similar effect, not just on Uzziah, but upon the whole kingdom of Judah. That's what happens to us when things tend to go really well. Affluence led to self-reliance and self-reliance bred corruption. They took advantage, the strong took advantage of the weak. And now Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah dies, hears from the Lord that their corruption is now gonna lead to judgment. Uh, just before this, a few chapters before in Isaiah one, this is what God says to the people through Isaiah. 112 through 20. He said, when you come, this is God speaking through Isaiah, when you come to appear before me, so he's talking about when they're come to worship him in the temple, when you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Now they were required to bring offerings. But he says, bring no more vain offerings. Incense, which they were required to offer by the law that God had given them through Moses. Your incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity, that's sin, and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. These are all things that were biblical, that God had told them to do. They have become a burden to me, he says. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. 
cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So Israel has risen in affluence. That affluence led to self-reliance, to human reliance, and that human reliance led to corruption. But that's not what God had intended for Israel. God never intended Israel to get wealthy and have strength and power so it could simply be a great nation and wallow in great affluence and wealth. He gave Israel wealth in order that they could be a blessing to the nations around them. That was the original intended purpose. We see that in Isaiah 2. This is the word of the Lord that the Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass. This is what God, the promise that God had in store for them, the thing that he had in mind all the time for Israel. It shall come in to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, that's the place where the Lord dwells, the temple, shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, come. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion, that's the people of God, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. That was God's desire for the people of Israel that peace would flow from Israel, that they would see God enthroned in Israel and therefore all the nations would come to seek God at Israel where the Lord dwelt with the people of Israel. But instead now, the first 12 chapters of Isaiah are gonna predict coming judgment for the people. The people had turned their hearts away from God. The leaders, the rich, the powerful were now mistreating the poor and the needy. They were forgetting their obligations uh, for justice, to care for the oppressed, to care for the fatherless and the widows. Did you hear that back in, in chapter one? Yet, even though they had forgotten to care for the fatherless and the widows and the orphans and the needy who were among them, and they were running after their own ways and relying upon this, them, themselves, yet they still had the exterior look that they were following after God. They were still gathering in the temple they were still offering sacrifices. They were still declaring holy feast days. They were still having solemn assemblies. They had everything that looked like the right thing that God had prescribed on the outside, yet inside they had turned from God-reliance to self-reliance, and that had led to corruption and injustice for the people around them. Their problem was a reliance problem. They're, they're subtly and slowly, it had shifted from reliance upon God to reliance upon humans, whether themselves or somebody else. And I think that's a snapshot of us. The church in America is as rich and as powerful as it has ever been. 
We have affluence. We have political influence. We have power and we have privilege. We have many buildings. We have media. We have Christian industries. We have conferences, all in addition to our Sunday morning worship. And man, our weekend services can wow you. We have beautiful and stirring music. We have powerful speakers who contain very powerful and moving messages and incredible programs for your children and for your teens and whatever else that you have going on. We are incredibly rich and we are affluent. It can look like everything is great. And yet, we've become spiritually apathetic and lethargic. Spiritual lethargy and apathy are the products of human reliance rather than God reliance. When we get to a place where we rely upon our affluence and our influence, we rely upon our ability to have great programs, we rely upon our charismatic leaders and our stirring music instead of relying solely upon the power of God through the gospel of God alone. We've become apathetic and lethargic. That's why our society looks like it does. We as Christians often look around at the society around us and we see how much it has changed over the last 20, 50, whatever number of years. And we see, you know, how much society has drifted from the biblical norm. And we've talked about how bad culture and about how bad society is. But here's the truth. It has always been up to the church. It has been always up to the people of God to be the people who speak under the power of God, the spirit of God, the gospel of God to the world around us to see them come to life and them come into the family of God and to see the effect the church has upon society rather than bemoaning the effect that society is having on the church. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. And I would say the problem is in here. The problem is not how far society has gone from biblical norms, but how our hearts have strayed into biblical lethargy and apathy because we have fallen into a rut of relying upon man rather than upon God alone. God's judgment doesn't begin with terrible calamities. God's judgment always begins by letting us prepare the dish that we want. And then he allows us to eat it and we experience its results. Us being a church that relies upon man, whether ourselves or others, that is the beginning of judgment. In 1 Peter 4, 17, it says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? We can say we wanna be an awakened people sent by God to awaken others, but do you know who needs to be awakened? We all do. 
If you are here and you're not a believer in Christ, you are not a Christian, you need to be awakened. You need to see God for who he is and you for who you really are and and understand that the only way that that gulf between who God is and who we are can be bridged is only through Jesus Christ. But all of us, even those of us who are believers, we need to be continually awakened by the spirit of God and the gospel of God. Isaiah is going to pronounce judgment on God's people, but he does so with a profound sense of hope. And you know why he does? Because he's seen something. Isaiah was a privileged member of Judah. We think that Isaiah may have been even a member of the royal household. He might have been a cousin to King Uzziah. Either way, he was a man of incredible affluence and influence in Judah. He was educated at the finest institutions in Jerusalem. He was a part of the very class of people who were strong and he said in chapter one, were oppressing the weak. But yet Isaiah saw something that changed him. It flavors, all the commentators speak about it, it flavors all of his whole long an incredibly large book of prophecies. Isaiah has this deep sense of the majesty and the holiness of God. And here's why. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Notice the nature of God. All of a sudden, Isaiah's eyes are open to see the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He sees the, the, the nature of God. Here's the interesting thing about this, is that he never describes the person of God because no one has seen the person of God and lived. He sees a, a bit of the glory of God filling the temple, and he is overwhelmed and undone at even seeing that. He sees the nature of God. God is high and lifted up. He isn't taken into heaven and sees God in heaven. He sees God as he is, high and lifted up. Whether you worship him or not, God is high and lifted up. Whether you bow your knee to him or not, God is high and lifted up. Whether you confess him as Lord or not, God is high and lifted up. The train of his robe is constantly filling, not just the temple, but the whole universe with his glory. There is nothing and no one that compares to him. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the beautiful one. 
That word holy, it contains this picture of brightness and the, the idea is brightness that is so bright that you can't look at it, you can't see it. It's like looking at a million suns or trying to. Isaiah saw the Lord, but he didn't see him because he could only see his holiness, his glory filling that temple. He could only see a bright light that blinded him so much that he could not see the actual Lord. It also contains this picture of holiness is the picture of separateness or otherness. He saw someone who was other and greater than man. There's glory in man. Sometimes aren't you wow by what man can do? When I see someone play music or write a song, when I watch somebody, I'm not artistic at all. When I saw, see somebody paint a picture or draw something, I am amazed. When I see a statue, I can't understand how they brought that thing out of that rock. When I see athletes do what they do on the field, I cannot imagine being that gifted to do those. Maybe some of you guys can, being that gifted to do what they can do. The things that man have invented and created, there's a glory in man, but yet the glory of God is incredibly other and higher than that. Isaiah saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up. He himself, he is a king, he is high and he is lifted up and he heard the seraphim and he saw them. These incredible creatures, we don't even know exactly how to describe them or what they were. So he says they had six wings and they covered their face and their feet and the other set of their wings they flew with. They covered their face out of utter humility in the face, in the presence of God. They covered their feet because no, they would not go anywhere unless God told them to go. They did not, the only thing they did not have uncovered was their ears so they could hear what God was saying to them. And he heard their call. And they call out in, in Hebrew, they don't have superlatives. So you repeat yourself in order to say that something is great. You don't say it's just great. You would say great, great. That means greater or greatest. And here Isaiah does something that we don't see anywhere else. He does it three times. He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. He creates a super superlative in order to get across the idea that God is incredibly bright and other and above us. He is high and lifted up. Isaiah sees him. He hears the seraphims call back to each other. And Isaiah then sees this whole place shake. The threshold shakes and the foundation shakes. And do you know why? Because he was not allowed into the place of God's presence was. He couldn't get in there. The threshold and the foundations shook so he could not enter into the presence of God because God is incredibly bright and other and pure and we are not. His entry was barred and he wasn't sad that his entry was barred because here's what he said. He said, woe to me for I am lost. Your version might say, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
The reaction to Isaiah from the holiness of God was a shaking and a smoke and, and the smoke allowed him not to see God. The shaking allowed him not to enter into God and Isaiah said, that's perfectly fine with me because I am lost, I am undone, I am free and welcome to die at this moment because I have unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Awaken from lethargy and apathy when you become personally aware of the majesty and the holiness of God. You're awakened from apathy when you become personally aware of the majesty and holiness of God. Human reliance, that thing that led the people of Judah into apathy and lethargy, the thing that, leads, that has led us into apathy and lethargy is destroyed when you become aware of God's majesty and holiness. Because first of all, you realize your sin. And then you realize the pervasive sin of your people. Even if I could get clean for one moment, I would dwell among a people of unclean lips and I'd be sullied and dirtied again. Has it happened? How are we awakened? When you're granted spiritual vision like Isaiah was to see what was always true. God didn't become high and lifted up at that moment. He didn't suddenly fill the temple with his, with his glory and the train of his robe at that moment. Isaiah was able to see what always was and had been. God was present with his people in the temple always. All of a sudden, Isaiah gets to see it. And he experiences God's majesty Nothing else can knock us off our little thrones like seeing the real one. Nothing can remind you and convince you that you are not the king of your own life until you walk in the presence of the one who is the king of the universe and eternity. And that doesn't happen by knowing it mentally or hearing about it or having somebody else talking to you about it. It comes from an inner experience when I, you know you've run into the one who created everything and holds it together by the word of his power. It happens when we experience God's holiness. It isn't our humanity that causes us to fear God. We were created by him and for him. It's not the fact that we're human and that he's God that causes us to fear him. We were made to walk with him in the cool of the day. It's our sinfulness that causes us to fear him. It's God's utter holiness, his purity, his majesty that causes us to see then and realize, oh man, I am unclean. Have you ever walked into a room of people um, who are at a different social class than you are? Like, like you're walking around town like wearing this and feeling just fine and all of a sudden you walk into a room where everybody is either dressed up or everybody is on a, a higher income bracket than you are and you realize what incredible junk am I wearing? Like you want to hide. That times a million is what it's like to stand in the infinitely pure and majestic and 
holy presence of God. But look at what happens next. Isaiah doesn't just say, woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Then it says, then, then one having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God, at this moment, holiness, Isaiah, all of a sudden, he says, I'm undone, and God provides an answer that Isaiah couldn't provide for himself. From the altar, where the sacrifices were made as a substitution for the people of Israel, he brings a with a tong, a coal, a burning coal, from that altar where the substitutionary sacrifice occurred that God had instituted and he, and he brings and applies by the direction of God when all Isaiah said was, I am undone, woe to me, I am lost. He comes and God through the seraphim applies to Isaiah the atoning for his sin. And suddenly Isaiah who was far and undone and lost is now brought near by God. He doesn't clean himself up. He doesn't fix himself. He simply sees the majesty and the holiness of God. He says, woe to me for I am undone. And then he looks and sees that God has provided an answer for him. Do you see? Do you see the extreme majesty and holiness of God's love for you in Christ? Do you see it? Do you see that that alone can awaken you and me and the church from our apathy and our self-reliance? When I see God and his holiness and his sacrifice on my behalf and his bringing me near through Christ, that can break me from self-reliance and that alone. Because I say, woe to me, I am undone otherwise. That alone can awaken us. Isaiah sees the Lord in the temple, the place where God told Israel that he would dwell among them. But now, now, Today, God says he dwells among us as his people. Not in a building in Jerusalem, but upon, uh, among us as his people. 1 Peter 2.5 You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, as a temple, to be a holy priesthood, to, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That means it is here among God's people that we can be awakened. God's majesty and holiness is revealed to us in Jesus and his love. Because it's only in Christ that God's majesty and his holiness 
is satisfied by the sacrifice of Christ and his incredible love for you and me, his people. We simply need eyes to see it. You need eyes to see it. You need to have your eyes opened and awakened to see the incredible majesty and holiness of God that is found in Jesus Christ. He's told us it is shown to us in the word of God. He's told us it's shown to us in the people of God. He's told us it's shown to us in the breaking of bread and in the cup of communion. And he said that he will inhabit the praises of his people. It's shown in the praise of his people. We want as a people, as a church, for our Sunday mornings to be about this. To be about a people gathered around the presence of God. A people who experience the majesty and holiness of God that is found in Jesus Christ and then lead others to that. We can't make God move. We can't make God open our eyes or open anyone else's eyes, but we can position ourselves in order for him to do that. We can put ourselves in the temple with the tools that he has given us, the word and communion and prayer and praise. In other words, we can't bring the fire, but we can stack the wood on the altar. And God is looking for a people who will do exactly that. And we, Doxa, we can be a church that does exactly that. Whatever we come here on Sundays for, this is what we want it to be about. It's not about exchange of information from my mouth or someone else's mouth to yours. It's not about making yourself feel better before you go back to your week. It's not about just simply seeing people and hearing some songs that I like. It's about a people gathering hungry for God through his presence to awaken us to his glory and majesty and holiness so that we can then go and awaken others. We want to be a people who do exactly that daily, weekly, together, and here. So I pray that we would make that our dedication as a church. I pray you would make that your dedication as a person. Build your week, build your days, build your weekend around saying, God, I can meet you anywhere at any time. I know you can do that. But I also know that you've specifically promised to in your temple with your people who are being built up in that spiritual house. I know that you have promised to there in that place, in that time, in those people, show yourself mighty and I'm coming hungry to do that. And I'm praying and I'm seeking, preparing myself in every way that I can to do that. And as I am awakened and continually awakened, I'm gonna then grab the people around me that need to be awakened, I'm going to bring them to like a hungry person setting the table for other hungry people. I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to sing together. 
And in your heart and your soul, I pray that you would ask God to come and awaken us together as a people, come and awaken you to see his glory and his majesty and his holiness. And then we're going to partake of communion together where he has told us he is present with us in a very special and particular way. And pray that you would ask God today and as we go forward to make us a people who are dedicated to being a people who gather around the presence of God on our Sunday mornings. Father, I pray that you would awaken us from apathy and lethargy. God, some of us in here aren't apathetic or lethargic. We still need to be continually awakened by you. Some of us are, Lord. And we could dedicate ourselves to read more, work more, do more, leaving here. But God, instead we, we cry out to you and we pray, God, show us who you are. Reveal your son, Jesus Christ, and his holiness and his majesty that we might see him. You know what? We might become an awakened people who are sent by God to then awaken others. For your glory and for our joy, we pray.